Hi there. Welcome to the Oompol.com podcast. I'm Oli, and episode number four is brought to you by NeatPipes.com. That's N-E-A-T-P-I-P-E-S.com. If you don't know this site, go check it out now and subscribe to Luca's newsletter while you're at it. Luca has great pipes and always has something new going on that's really, really interesting. So go check out NeatPipes.com and bookmark that page. Episode number four is with American pipe carver Mark Tinsky. And real quick before we get started, I just want to tell you that uh, you'll hear Mark giggle a little bit at the beginning, and that's because I introduce him as uh, an American legend. And right away he says, no, no, edit that out, edit that out. And uh, I'm sorry, Mark, but I didn't edit that out. You, sir, are an American legend. The following interview was recorded on March 30th, 2008 for umpal.com. So let's get started. Have a seat, grab a pipe, and stay a while. I hope you enjoy. On the line with us, we have the American legend and pipe maker, Mark Tinsky, owner and operator of American Smoking Pipes Company. Mark, it is a real pleasure to have you on the line with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Tell us a little bit about how you got started making pipes and how you got into pipes. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I grew up in the 70s. I guess when times were good, and I just figured I was smart enough to be able to do whatever I wanted because I saw a lot of older people around me. This is 18. So I didn't think we're real smart. We were doing pretty well. So I didn't worry about anything. And uh, so I went to school, uh, got a degree. I kind of played all through my 20s. I explored, I took bicycle trips, I hiked, did a lot of fun things. Along the way, one of the guys I worked for to make money for all these trips was Jack Weinberger, who was a pipe maker in West Caldwell, New Jersey, where I live. Jack seemed pretty happy to hire me and my friend, Kurt Roller, who later joined me in American Smoking Pipe. We'd work through the year and take off on a bike during the summer. We did this for a number of years, and by 1977 or 6, I'm not sure which, we'd saved up enough money to go for an extended period of time, and at which point Jack <laughs> kind of had enough of this nonsense and said, don't come back. So we started off in... Uh, London and rode our bikes all through and around the British Isles and Ireland and Scotland and eventually wound up through Europe and unfortunately the trip terminated in Turkey where we ran out of tires and got tired of the third world and at that point Iran was just uh, starting the revolution and we were going right through it and probably wasn't a good idea. So we decided to come back and form our own pipe company because Jack could do it, we could do it. We still had a few bucks left in our pockets and home we came in sometime in the fall of 78 and uh, eventually got going. Basically, you, you started American Smoking Pipe back in 78 at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was, was uh, it was just you and him at first, right? That's all it ever was. And so how about now? It's just me. <laughs> Just you now, right? You're working on a pipe right now as we talk, probably, right? Actually, I'm working on getting one lit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're more importantly, I'm looking for the right one. <laughs> I'm actually working on a new design. That's my project for the day, I think. Some, some weird thing. It's like a cavalier with a removable bowl. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Somebody sent me a uh, picture of a cavalier. The church warden stem I had done many years ago, and I didn't even recognize it. It was, it was so long ago. And he said he'd like me to copy it, so I made him a copy of it. And while I was making it, I realized this 
whole thing didn't need to be glued if the fittings were tight and it could be made completely removable and cleanable. And I made one for myself and stuck a pipe on it, a short bulldog that had previously smoked well of the BBB and uh, just made it a connection point to this Cavalier piece, which has a drain plug and what have you. And it really smoked well. It actually smoked better. Kind of encouraged me to keep going and try to make a couple more. So that's what I'm about to do once I get my pipe going. I want to take this idea and see if I can make it, you know, see if it works well enough for, you know, just anybody to, to have. You know, that's... sort of like um, Kirsten has a, a Falcon. Mm-hmm. It, with a, but it's got a metal shank on it and, and interchangeable bowls. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I could do that, too. I don't know if this is worthwhile, but I'll play with it. That'll be interesting to see how those turn out. Your website is www.amsmokeeeamsmoke.com, right? Yes, that's correct. Not only do you sell you know, the pipes that you make there, but it looks like you also do pipe kits, you do briar, you do stems, and you do repairs. Yes, that's correct. That's wow. Good. Pretty much the full gamut of my business. You do custom work too, right? Mostly custom work. Somebody sends you a design and, and you just kind of go at it. Right. A lot of times I'll get, let me see, what do I got? Some, actually, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm Lately I've been getting um, requests to do knockoffs of my own pipes. <laughs> you know, where it used to be you get asked to do, you know, skater or something like that. The nose warmer, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, mm-hmm. is uh, fairly popular. Really? Yeah, I, uh, I love those those really short pipes. Those are neat. Yeah, yeah, they are pretty neat. So I've been making a bunch of those, as I know some of my friends, you know, pipe maker friends have. So that's, I guess, the, uh, you know, the, the basket pipe industry hasn't caught on to that yet, so people are having to go to us. How, about and, how many uh, pipes a year would you say that you make? Um, Somewhere, probably around 350, probably like one a day. Wow. I work a lot. I mean, I don't have weekends off. I mean, when it's not fishing season, I never take a day off. I just like what I do too much. And why would I want to take a day off? doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah. So did you find the pipe you're going to smoke this morning? Yeah, it's a gold apple when I made it smooth. I have a rotation, you know, it's kind of once a week. I smoke, you know, four to six pipes a day. So you got to have a bunch of pipes and you have to have the right size bowl and all that. Do you have a favorite of uh, of the ones that you have in your collection? I have maybe about about five or six that are really smoking well. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing: people say pipes smoke well, and I think what we all think is they smoke and taste well, right? That's not always the case. A pipe can smoke well, it can draw well, it can do this, it can do that, it doesn't get wet, it doesn't gurgle, you know, it can do all the things a good pipe is supposed to. And still not taste worth a damn. I only want pipes that are going to taste really well. That's yeah. funny. It smokes. That that's not always so easy to find. Yeah, you know, brands. There's no, you know, the myth about you know, yeah, if you have a straight grain or a great cross grain or something, will ensure that you get a a good smoking pipe. Well, yeah, the pipe may smoke well, may not taste very, you know, right. maybe just an average taster. There, it just seemed to be some pipes at some point in their life that just sing with the tobacco you're smoking. That's the trick. This whole thing is to find the right pipe with the right tobacco and get lucky enough that, that it's possible for that pipe to do that, and then, you know, you've got a great combination. There's no real secret to that mystery except for trial and error. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But it can get kind of expensive, if, you know, $300 yeah. a job for a pipe. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the most important thing is the tobacco. 
pipe isn't the biggest variable. Speaking of tobacco, what's your favorite tobacco right now? Well, I only smoke two tobaccos. And so the one thing it lets me do is because I've only smoked these two blends for, you know, 10 or 15 years, is I know what a pipe should taste like. The Navy Flake is the much pickier of the tobaccos with the pipe. So if a pipe doesn't qualify, doesn't smoke well with Navy Flake, I, I smoke the Virginia in it. And it's usually fine. It's very few that you don't even pass that test. But being so familiar with one tobacco lets me know when a pipe is tasting well. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not smoking well. It's tasting well. So that Navy and, Flake uh, you're talking about, that's McBaron? Yeah. And what was the second one that you mentioned? Hamburger Veermeister. Now you did the uh, 2008 ASP Pipe of the Year. Tell me about that. Well, I've started in, I've been a member of, uh, alternate smokers type news group since the end of 95 and um, it's a very good group it's very diverse a lot of opinions kind of fun and over the years many good people sometime around 2000 2001 it was a big enough group that they kind of wanted something to identify themselves and a fellow named Paul Tatum who's a tamper maker and later went into pipes developed the logo with Bill Bernie and had it made up, put out some tampers with it. So uh, the pipe makers thought, hey, we could do that too, and, and Paul sold us some, some of these logos, and we put them in stems and, you know, got together and made a club pipe that the club voted on. Mm-hmm. That seemed to satisfy everybody until that for, for four years, and then uh, we did a 2005, 6, 7, and now 8, which is uh, this year the group chose a Belge to do, sort of a Canted eggish billiard. I read something that, let's see, it was an essay or something or an interview with you talking about sandblasting at some point and what a what a pain in the rear that is. And uh, that's something I never really thought about much before I read that article and I thought, wow. It's not that easy. Yeah, tell, tell me about that. Yeah, Graham, my experiences are from pre-1990 with maybe not the best of equipment. You know, I'm sure yeah. things have got better with time. But, well, be that as, as it may, my friend Rad Davis has just started sandblasting. He got a bigger cabinet and better humidity control of the sand so it doesn't get stuck and a better vac. So, I mean, things have improved enough, but you're still blasting in a sandstorm. You know, you're, you're looking into a cabinet with high-pressure sand or glass beads swirling at, you know, 100 miles an hour, and it's tough to see what you're doing. You burn a hole in your glove and hit your finger, and, you know, I I don't think it's that easy work. It seems like this country has some really good blasters. Paul Bonacquist, he does really nice work. You know, of course, Cook is the top of the pile. Um, But I just saw a blast that Lee uh, Von Earth did on a B.A. Weaver site. He said, Lee blasted the pipe, and it was gorgeous. And, of course, Rad does beautiful work, and, and Mike Linder does. What's your, yeah, I was going to say, what's your favorite part of the business? Tell me what you really like about your day. <laughs> I like doing custom orders because I get a lot of satisfaction when I get it right and the customer's happy. You know, that's an idea he has in his head that he just can't, because he's not a pipe maker, can't make in wood. I like doing that for somebody, you know, and he goes, yes, that's it. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. That's, that's a really cool feeling, you know, to, to do something like that. But mostly it's uh, because I do pipe repair, I do the pipe kits and sell briar. It's not just one thing. 
Mm-hmm. I meet people in all walks of pipe making, from young carvers to you know guys who who've been collecting for you know thirty, forty years, and you know trust me to fix one of their treasures. You know they'll buy a pipe or two a year, and uh, a lot of it is just for people. You know the the contacts. This is a really good group of people to work with. I, I think that's that's about it. A little you know some of the diversity. It's satisfying other people, you know, knowing your work is appreciated, you know, getting nice letters from people, but knowing that they're happy with a job you did and and being happy yourself. (laughs) Again, most importantly, you know, you do some crummy work and somebody says, that's great. That's not great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, You know, I like, I like just feeling competent at what I do. That's a big thing with me, whether it's fly fishing or karate or pipe making or whatever. I just, like to be good at something. When you're not making pipes, what are you doing? Well, karate's a done deal at this point. My knees, after the fifth knee operation. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's unfortunately, karate and racquetball have uh, have gone to the wayside. I, I want I don't want an artificial knee, and that's the next that's the next step. Um, so it's just fly fishing. You know, I, I check the weather twenty times a day and watch the wind. And you know, unfortunately, I live right next. To one of the best rivers in the country, I've become primarily a dry fly fisherman, which is a small, you know, just like the pipe world, it's a very small segment of, of a niche. So I can only fish when the conditions are favorable for that, which is cloudy and usually not windy. In, in Montana, that's not always, a, it's, it's a windy state and it's a sunny state. So I can only get a couple hours a day if I'm lucky. Tell me, what is dry fly fishing? Dry fly fishing is when you're fishing an imitation a fly that is an adult fly that is floating on top of the water as opposed to imitating the pupil stage or the nymph stage of an insect when it's crawling on the river bottom or emerging to become a, uh, an adult. So fish eat 90% of the time under water, only 10% of the time on top, you know, on the top. So it kind of limits, you know, when you can fish. They're not always doing it. Whereas they're always eating underwater, pretty much. When you're not carving pipes, you're out there as long as conditions are favorable, huh? Yeah, if the conditions are favorable, I'm out there. And it's uh, just starting to get going now. Um, So, you know, it goes from an hour or two a day in the beginning of the season to this six-week golden period where you can literally spend all day from uh, the end of June till uh, maybe four weeks end of June till the end of July. You can fish every day, dawn to dusk, to rising fish. And then it just peters out until November when it's an hour a day again. So that's fine. You know, summer's a slower time for pipes anyway. What's the what's the best time for pipes during the year? I'd say November through uh, February. Why do you think that is? <laughs> One Christmas, you know, that's a big thing. I do a, an annual Christmas pipe, mm-hmm. so I need to make 75 to 90 between usually October and, and January. So that takes a lot of time. I, I think just people, are, you know, it, for the most part, it's cold in, in most of the country. People are wearing coats. I don't know. You know what? It doesn't make any sense. Because uh, we used to use the, uh, the explanation used to be in the summer, people um, didn't have jackets on and, you know, places with their pipes. They took a cigar when they played golf or something. But nowadays, since you can't smoke inside, yeah. <laughs> you know, smoking should be bigger in the summer because, you know, the guys can't smoke in the winter. It's too cold. 
So that, that equation has changed. But it seems to be the busiest in those months, you know, November to, to March. What kind of uh, wisdom from all the years of pipe making that you've had could you could you give to some of the upstarts, some of the young guys that are just starting to try to carve pipes right now? Uh, the traditional thing is learn how to do the classics first and then then develop your own style. Learn the skills you need to hand shape a pipe and be good enough at it so that somebody looks at it and says, yeah, that's a good billiard, that's a good apple, that's a good Canadian, whatever, and then move on. Do your homework, you know, learn how to draw before you paint. That's about it. The guys that are out there that are just starting to pick up a pipe and just starting to smoke a pipe, what would you what would you say to them about giving them some pointers? Find a, first thing is, is find a tobacco you like. That that cuts this equation in, in three quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, find something that burns well, that isn't too gooky. Don't get hung up on aromatics because they smell good. You know, if you can, find a tobacconist to, to help you and one who really understands tobacco and don't be afraid to spend a little money on tin tobacco because it's usually the better of them. Uh, be patient. <laughs> Find a mentor, somebody to teach you to pack, how to light it, how to keep it going, and things like that. Your son's actually like, carving now, right? Well, he's, he's in and out of it at the time, mm-hmm. uh, at this time. He has access to a shop in Chicago where he's living, but it's in the suburbs, mm-hmm. and he has to take a train and then ride his bike to it. And Chicago's had a tough winter. So yeah. There hasn't been any bike riding out there. So until the spring comes, he's a, on a bit of a hiatus. And, you know, hopefully there'll be a time where he, you know, makes enough money. He, he's been trained as a chef. And he's just trying to find, a, you know, his way into that business. Mm-hmm. And it's not that easy. So if any of your, any of your uh, readers out there have any connections in you know, in Chicago, good restaurants. Please get in touch. Uh, but hopefully, you know, you can make enough money to have a shop nearby. You know, yeah. And then he'll be able to pick up. He's great. I mean, he really does nice work. He's got a much better eye than I do for shape and uh, symmetry. Very picky, more painstaking. His mother was an artist, is an artist, so maybe that kind of gave him a little better genes than I got. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good combination then. If if she's an artist and you're already this great pipe maker, he's, you know, he's pretty sad, I'd say. Well, you know, it's it's not all, I mean, there's a lot of very talented people out there. The problem is it's just not talent alone in a business that will carry you through. Mm-hmm. There's an American fellow um, named Walt Kinoy who was popular for a few years. He had some business Troubles with the business part of it, the mm-hmm. business. wasn't a businessman. But as far as I'm concerned, he's the most innovative pipe maker I've ever seen. And, wow. you know, could have been the next Bo Nord. But without the business part of it, this is a business. You know, unless you find somebody just to bankroll you, buy a briar shop, you know, give you a place to live and food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you got to make it work. And yeah. that's... That's the biggest, that's, that's a more important skill than being an artist. It really is. How far away is your shop from where you live? Is it right there? Yeah, it's right here. It's a detached garage. That's nice. Yeah, it's great. That's the only way I've worked. I've never had to commute. 
It's either been in a basement or a garage, wherever I've lived, which gives you the freedom to just kind of come and go as you want. Yeah. You know, you want to start working at 9 o'clock, as you go. That's how I like to work. When you're working on pipes, what would you say is kind of like the toughest part? You know, is it uh, finding flaws? Is it um, making sure you've got this kind of grain or that kind of grain? Or is it stem work? Is there any one of those pieces that's really, really tough, more so than the others? No, not really. At this point, I've, I've become very, I've hit, so many flaws, you know, right at the end of so many beautiful pipes, you know, that either ruined it or made it a carve or something. I'm pretty philosophical about it now. I mean, don't get upset. <laughs> you know, enough of them, you know, it, it's just percentages, you know, and enough of them will turn out and some of them won't. And getting upset about it is kind of silly. <laughs> it's, it's just the briar is so unpredictable mm-hmm. that, you know, after all these years, I, I don't get upset about it anymore. No, I think I've kind of got everything down, got the machinery working well. I was having a little trouble with um, my tenon cutting tool. It wasn't cutting as cleanly as I want, but I sent it to a pipe maker friend, John Eels, and now it's cutting like glass, so I'm really happy. Try as I could. I, I'm not a machinist. I couldn't get it like that. You know, if you can't do something, you find somebody to help you. And I, I've kind of not... I spent a lot of time talking to people, a lot of young carvers, and that's good. I enjoy that, you know, because eventually you got to leave something, and it just can't be pipes. Yeah. You know, because pipes are going to, you know, even if they last 50, 70 years, eventually they're going to be gone. You know, if you teach enough people and help enough people, you know, especially youngsters, well, then... You know, 50 years from then, they'll be saying, well, you know, this old guy, Mark Tinsky, helped me get started, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and maybe if this lasts long enough like it has in Europe, you know, there'll be uh, a history, you know, to have been part of the beginning of American pipe carving. I, I'm not saying, the, I mean, there, there, there was a history in this country, but it was mostly in factories. They weren't individual carvers. They worked for Kay Woody and split off. Or they worked for Wilkie. There were two or three you know, really good handmade makers then. But it's not like now. They just carved for their own shop. It'd be nice to be remembered for being part of that. I guess that's what I mean. Well, I, I think that you've been doing it for so many years now and that you have such a, such a good name out there in the industry that um, that's certainly something that, that is happening right now. So that's... That's really something great. You've done a lot for a lot of people. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> oh, you bet. Thank you. Well, they've done a lot for me. I mean, I'm living the life. I'm living the American dream. Do yeah. what you want, when you want. You know, how many people love their work? Yeah. Oh, very true. Very true. You know, I, it's a gift to be able to do it. Uh, I mean, I would do it even if I didn't get paid. Now, I hear, I understand <laughs> that you're also a Mac guy. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's the only thing I know. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I like that. I gotta get a new one. I got System Nine still. When do you think you'll be done with that Cavalier? Well, I have. I can send you a picture of it because the, the one I did for the fella is done. Yeah, send me something. And what's on your list after uh, after that? I'm imagining you, you probably have quite a list, huh? I've got a couple Canadians. I've got two knockoffs of my own pipes that I've made that won't be that easy. And that's pretty much it for the week. And I'd like, I'm going to try to make some of these Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. I, I got a, a better drill. That's what I'm going to work on right now. Kind of making some blanks, just figuring out how I can do it efficiently and, and cleanly. The other one I just got lucky at. 
<laughs> just pure luck. I tried to do it again the same way two or three times, and all of them broke. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I, I needed a better drill. and it's, You'll see. Uh, if you want, I'll talk to you later when I... And you see a picture of it. Yeah, that'd be great. Before we take off, is there anything else you'd like to uh, offer up to the listeners out there? If they want, you know, they can always email me. I'm happy to talk and help or make pipes, whatever. Repair them. <laughs> Sounds great. So uh, don't forget to go to www.amsmoke.com. Check out everything that Mark has to offer there. It's it's absolutely incredible. You know, he sells the kits. He sells the briar. He sells stems. He does repairs. And, of course, he makes incredible pipes so check out what he's got to offer thank you so much mark for joining us today i really appreciate it it's been a real pleasure oh you're very welcome i enjoyed smoking a bowl with you well thank you sir and we'll talk to you very soon okay see you mark take it easy (laughs) on a side note after this interview was conducted i decided i wanted a new um paul and so i emailed mark and said um you know, this is what I'm looking for. And I waited a couple days, and uh, I thought, okay, you know, he's a very busy guy. He'll get back to me as soon as he can. And I thought, you know, he'd get back to me and say, yeah, I can do it. Here's when I can do it. But instead, in his reply email days later, uh, what I received was a picture of the Um Paul that he made. That's the kind of guy Mark is. Absolutely fantastic. I have it now, and I enjoy it all the time. So check out Mark Tensky at amsmoke.com. Get him to carve you something completely unique just for you. That was episode number four, the Mark Tensky interview, and it was brought to you by neatpipes.com. Check out www.neatpipes, neatpipes.com, and make sure you sign up for Luca's newsletter. He's got lots of great stuff going on over there. You're not going to want to miss it. And if you haven't already, go to our site and check out the International Umpal Society of Non-Typicals, as well as the League of the Silver Hand. It's a lot of fun stuff going on. Check that out today. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. Every so often, we do run contests, so you don't want to miss out. I hope you had fun. Let's do this again real soon. Until then, I'm Ole with Umpal.com, wishing you the best of luck trying to figure out What pipe you want Mark Tensky to carve right now? Take care.